This is the Cinematography for Actors podcast. More than a podcast, CFA is a vibrant community devoted to bridging the gap between talent and crew. Each week, our show offers transparent, insightful conversations with industry leaders. We unveil the magic behind the scenes from candid discussions about unique filmmaking processes to in-depth technical exploration. Join us in unraveling the intricacies of filmmaking one episode at a time. It's more than just cameras and lenses over here. We aim to inspire, educate, and empower as we peel back the curtain on the art of effective storytelling. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. All right. As a DP, I know purchasing gear can kind of be a nightmare. Whether you're talent or crew, finding technical solutions to any of your problems can be very challenging. And what's even harder is knowing where to go. So we have an answer for you. Head over to BandPro one of our incredible sponsors here at CFA. Whether you're looking for high-end cameras and lenses or looking for guidance on what is needed to get started on this equipment journey of yours, BandPro has the gear and team that you need to thrive in your own career. They are the exclusive representative of Ingenue's complete cinema line for all of North and South America, and their customer support is fantastic. Not only do they have a great team to answer any product question you might have, but they also have a talented team of in-house technicians that you can actually talk to to get your equipment back up and running. Which is really important, especially if you're on set. So, bonus. (laughs) Go to bandpro.com or stop in at their location in Burbank. And please make sure to say hi from CFA because we love them so very much. Yeah, hello. Thanks. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another special episode of the Cinematography for Actors podcast. I am your host, Haley Royal. I'm sitting here with another host, Brianna Wing. Hi, Brianna. Hi, how are you? And we are seated seated here (laughs) with the uh, writer and director of Melissa Tondo. This is Melissa Tondo. Is it Bongella? Bongella? Bongella. Bongella. It's a hard G. Bangela Harji. Hi, how are Hi. you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, uh, yeah. we're happy to have you here. We've thank been you. sitting and chatting while we wait for the live stream to get going about your story. This is a story that you've made about your own past, mm-hmm. correct? Can you give us a little bit of a logline, let us know what we're about to talk about? What the film is, how long yeah. it is, and uh, you know what it is to you. Well, the film is currently playing right now in like next door in the, in the next theater, and I don't have much time before I have to go back. <laughs> but basically, it took me ten years to make, um, and it's a, a personal essay documentary about love and what it means to become human in the context of race. Um, and so, I grew up in this place in South Africa called the Republic of Transkei, which was a country that no longer exists anymore, invented by the apartheid regime as kind of a fantasy of their whole fruition of the, the idea of apartheid, which is that all, everybody should be separated by race and ethnicity. And um, the film looks at how I was born there in 1985 and until I was nine years old had no idea that apartheid was a thing or that it was happening because we were kind of in this bubble enclave where everything was about Kosa nationalism um, and it was all funded by the apartheid regime because they wanted everybody to buy into this idea of like, yes, the white people must stay in their land and the black people must stay in their land. And the film kind of looks at that complex identity of growing up in this place and never experiencing racism, really, until I was until we left in 1994 when apartheid ended. Um, And 
has a lot of um, elements of what that life was like, mm -hmm. linguistically, culturally, artistically, spiritually. Um, but then it also covers what it means to enter into whiteness as a, as a, as a nine-year-old, having been in another world, and how the vestiges of racism mostly exist in the psychic, in the psychics, in our psyche, in our minds. Um, as somebody who's never really experienced any like kind of racial violence physically, psychologically and emotionally befriending white people in these neighborhoods and schools and all that stuff also came with a cost and the film looks at the, the, the violence, the psychic violence that can take place inside friendships um, that are interracial. I, I, listening to this, I'm blown away because it's such a monumental emotional and psychological roller coaster to experience when you were nine mm. and then to think back on it as an adult. I can only imagine all the thoughts you must have been going through, but then to decide to make it into a documentary, into a film to share with people, mm. how do you take such a personal and profound and like life changing part and then put it into a film? Like you're essentially having to create some hard lines of this, you know, intangible feeling how do yeah. you go from that to a film and what obstacles did you run into creatively or technically if any I mean a lot actually um, because I had never seen a film like this one and I was always looking for it I, mm -hmm. I have some films that I really like that I was like okay Hell County by Romel Ross one of my favorite documentaries and and the way that he reconstructs form um, and what it means to look and see. I was like, I really like what this guy's doing here. There's another one called um, Nostalgia for the Light by um, Patricio Guzman. And I was like, I really like how he uses voice over here. And so my film, it, it borrows a little bit from some, but I was like, oh, as a young African woman making films in the 21st century, I don't have much of a um, many reference points because for a long time, black women weren't allowed to make films in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And so when I look back to try to see, oh, what were they saying about this? They were definitely writing about things. They were taking photographs. Some people may have been filming, but I couldn't find these films. And so in many ways, I had to, me and my team had to kind of create the form that the film then takes. Um, and uh, filming myself, filming my family, I mean... My family was extremely receptive and, and they never even held back, not one thing. But filming white people and white South Africans was challenging. It came with a lot of yeses and then retracted yeses and people going, well, what are you going to use it for? How are we going to be portrayed? And, and technically, I didn't study film. So I was also kind of shy about like my cinematography skills and they weren't that good. But at the end, it works in the film because, um, I mean, I have a DOP, um, Hank Lee, but... Um, there are many f shots that I filmed myself and the whole I, I was scared and, the, and you can see it you can feel it in the in the sh in the shots they're quite shaky and again for me it's a it's a it's a comment though on cinema and how it has kept black women out of it primarily and so th that kind of translates also as a comment about cinema um, and I think the fact that I made it into a film you know as artists we don't always have a choice about the calling when something happens yeah. and something, you don't mm -hmm. have a choice. You just like, and every time you try to run away from it, it, <laughs> it comes back. You might try to get your nice fancy job in a nice yeah. place and the idea will keep you up at night. And so it was a, a matter of surrender. And the film itself, we saw it as its own entity, its own consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so it said to me many times, I will take care of you, don't worry. Don't worry. You will meet the people that you need to meet. You will get the funding that you need to get. Just have faith in that 
I as an entity want to come through you and, and your story. And ultimately that happened. That was true. And so it was also in the way that we approached cinema, it wasn't a matter of, it wasn't attached to the industrial process of it. It was more attached to the artistic process and, and how what role cinema plays in in the world and what it can play. What was something that you learned technically about building this? And you, you mentioned there was no archival footage that you could use. Did you have to build anything to get a feeling across something similar to what you felt before? Are there technical tricks you learned? They, oh, no, there was actually a lot of archival footage. That oh, there we, was? A lot. Fantastic. My film is mostly it's like 60% or 50% archive. And the thing about that archive is that a lot of it had never been seen by South Africans mm -hmm. or anyone in the world before because it was still in like uh, film reels and cans wow. and then it was digitized and um, it was owned by the regime, the apartheid regime, and it was basically them recording their sins in the every yes. day. And so, and so they never for one second thought that one day, 50 years down the line, right. someone like me would find it and use it. And so the, technically we couldn't use that material because it was propaganda we couldn't mm. use it as a way of saying oh this is what happened and so we had to subvert it we had to find ways the way in which we've cut it is 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 a comment on the material itself it's not like a reliable source wow and so <laughs> i mean yeah technically i mean i'm still very much in the writing directing i had excellent partners i had an excellent DOP and an editor mm -hmm. and for, it was a challenge for all of us because she too had never really cut a film like this and so I think that the biggest achievement and the biggest thing that we learned was that we can take something that doesn't exist and put our minds together and have it make sense. Our biggest fear was like is this going to make sense to anyone? Is anyone going to get it? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm at AFI, mm. so <laughs> someone got it. Yeah, being able to trust your collaborators in that way and know that you'll be able to create something that yeah. you have thought of or felt before. How big was great. your team when you were filming, like, in the field or with your family? Two people. It was Two me people. and Hank Hill, and it was because whenever we showed up with the crew, we did try to, like, have a crew at first, and we found that people don't respond well. In, in mm -hmm. a documentary, people, the minute there's a big guy with a camera mm -hmm. and lights and this and that, people then, they stand up and they want to perform for the camera, so yeah. no one is being real. And we were filming in bedrooms, like, you know, in my grandmother's house, and so we had to figure out how to uh, approximate intimacy and quiet. And so we, we, we had these expensive cameras that we couldn't use, and so I ended up having to use my cell phone because that is when people... People are used to cell phones, and so they mm. kind of act more natural. Yep. And then my DOP was like as light as a feather. Her presence was just, I don't know how she did it, but you kind of never knew she was there. And the way she would film with like a 50 millimeter or 35 millimeter lens sometimes, the, 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 the lot of shots are quite close. And I'm like, how did you do this? And it's because she's Asian, and black people were not like afraid, and they didn't, it didn't take mm. away too much attention from like, the scene if, then, if say it was a white person there they'd be like oh we must now behave a certain way yeah. the fact that she's korean it was very i don't know they did they, they just were like oh okay there she is then they carried on and so it she also moved quite differently in the space yeah and it's did you record sound straight to your phone or sound straight to camera in those intimate small two we had people? a sound we had a sound guy who would also stay quite far away from me actually so he uh, his name was uh, muntu and he, Muntu would be quite far away when we were recording, so he also wasn't a presence in the space sometimes. And then sometimes it would be to the cell phone or sometimes to like a, a, like a field uh, microphone. Yeah, got it. Yeah. 
This has been such an incredible interview. Yeah. We, I feel like I learned a year's worth of things. I know. Just I just got as totally sucked into that. Unfortunately, yeah. we do have to wrap things you up. You have to run. You have, I have to get to, to a Q&A. Yes. Melissa Tondo is screening right now. Melissa Tondo has to go and do <laughs> Thank a you guys. Q&A. Thank you so much it's for coming. It's wonderful to have us. you here. Thank you so much for watching, everyone. Bye. Yay. See you next time. <laughs> Join us in bridging the gap between talent and crew. Start by subscribing on your preferred podcast platform. Sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on vendor discounts, community events, new podcast releases, and you can educate yourself through our free course releases on YouTube. It all starts at cinematographyforactors.com. And if you like this episode, consider leaving a review to make it easier for fine folks just like yourself to find us. <laughs> we have some super exciting news. CFA has teamed up with We Make Movies to offer you a discount on production management services, including access to comprehensive production insurance, workers' comp for your next shoot. All you have to do is visit wemakemovies.com insurance and use code CFA23 on your intake form for 10% off your quote. Also, we've just partnered with We Audition, which I'm sure you know I'm very excited about, to offer you 25% off your membership. Use code CFA25 to get that membership for only $7.50 a month or $75 a year.